1: Tell us about your life leading into that day and how it fell apart when you got a phone call.
2: Yeah, um, you know, obviously the pandemic has changed life as we know it, and I hope that has not become the new normal. We work really hard to break that. But I had transitioned out of retail grocery and started my own small business, doing some remodeling, working on houses, small handyman projects, and it was really flourishing and taking off. We were in the season of doing some late sprinkler turn-ons and, and whatnots, repairs for a company. I had been out that day, had a kind of a shorter list of things to do that day. Got home earlier in the afternoon and received a phone call from my youngest daughter. And she had a, a sound of panic in her voice, which was alarming right from the start. Um, and she says, Dad, I, uh, have you heard the news? I said, "Geez, Lucy, I'm I'm just walking in the door. Well, you know what's going on," and she says, "Well, they said that two people have been shot in downtown Denver." I said, "Okay." She says, "Bella and Darian have been shot dead." Um. So immediately, as a parent, my my heart drops. Um. And I'm trying to be as gathered as I could when I talk to her, and she says, "Well, they said one person is." deceased, and the other one is in surgery. I said, where are they at? Do you know what where? And she says, DGH. Um, so we immediately got in the car, and I went to DGH, trying to find out what information I could find. Um, we pull up into the emergency parking, and I get out and go inside. And um, right from the start, there was just not a whole lot of information. Nothing was being said. Um, I approached a couple Denver police in the lobby and said, hey, you know, I'm I'm here to find my daughter. And they said, we, we don't have any record of her here. Um, so I'm frantically trying to make phone calls and figure out where she is, what's happened, what's transpired. And at that point, I heard um, a surgeon walk by and say that... Uh, they had taken Darien into surgery. So at that point, I immediately knew um, that Bella had passed, So, uh, which drew us to downtown where her and Darian lived. And at that point, uh, the police presence was uh, of huge proportion down there when we started entering the ballpark course field area. So um made our way in and everything was roped off and um they have a white tent set up and uh, as a father you immediately start to break and uh, i walked through the uh, police tape and started heading that way And that's where I was met by a police um, sergeant of some kind. And uh, he says, you're her dad. And I said, I am. And uh, he says, I am so sorry for your loss. And at that point, it just, you know, so surreal. It still feels so surreal, you know, a bad dream that you wish you could wake up from. You know, a parent's worst nightmare. I, I don't even know what you would say. A nightmare. So
1: it is a nightmare. And I'm sorry that you experienced this. That police sergeant came up to you. Let's divert just a little bit to talk about the police and military people in authority in uniform. When the police sergeant came up to you, it sounds like he was a wonderful DPD sergeant. He consoled yeah. you, said the only words that you can really say to someone going through what you are. I'm sorry for your loss. And boy, we all are, Josh. Thank you. What was the Dallas family attitude toward police and law enforcement?
2: Well, we love police. And I say that we have police in our family. We have police in our close-knit circle. We have ex-military, ex-police officer military. Um in our direct family and bloodline. So, you know, we we are pro-police. We are pro, pro-black and blue. We are all about it. So there's a respect and a love there.
1: And you said you did not have a whole lot of information when you went to DGH. That's what Denverites call Denver Health. We call it Denver General <laughs> Hospital. We were raised yes. that way. But I've been in a lot of situations representing People who have had tragic losses and what they're entitled to, and what I try to deliver as an attorney, and Josh Maximon the same. We want to give you information, and you arrive at DGH and you say, What happened? What's going on? And I'm sure when that sergeant talked to you, I don't know if you were in a position then to say, What happened? I mean, you, above all people, are entitled to that information. Is that the instinct that eventually hits you, Josh? I need to know what happened to my baby.
2: Well, of course, as a father, you know, your job is to protect and fix. And that, as a dad, my job is to protect and fix for my kids regardless. You know, even if there's poor decisions made, that's my job. So to be hit with that situation already, loss of life, my heart is Shattered in a hundred pieces and have no concept of what this feeling is or what to do I would hope that somebody steps up and says hey, you know, here's the steps that this is going to proceed and and follow Um, And it didn't shake out like that.
1: Tell us what are your frustrations Josh?
2: Yeah, information has been very sparse from day one, so when all this kind of transpired I went almost three weeks with a zero phone call from detectives, from Denver police, from, you know, I had a victim's advocate reach out, basically expressing condolences and trying to get therapy set up, which is awesome. But as far as information, just no information. And now we are almost a year into this. We're 11 months as of yesterday into this. And the information we knew then is pretty close to the information we know now. It's very sparse.
1: It was all over the media, so I expect you saw the media reports, but a lot of critical questions were not asked or answered.
2: Very true. We were trying to find information in detail on what exactly transpired that day. We know some of the backstory very little. You know, there is black and white evidence to this case that you know as a parent you're you're thankful for for justice to be served and as a parent you're brokenhearted because you view it and i say that there is black and white video surveillance footage beforehand during this shooting and after this shooting and it's it's very raw it's very hurtful um but that's about the only evidence that's been shared um, so far in kind of how all this has transpired.
1: And to inform the audience, there's a middle-aged white guy named Michael Close, who apparently grew up in Lakewood, and he had an apartment in the Ballpark neighborhood, and he shot out the window right into your beautiful daughter, killing her and wounding severely my client, Darian Simon. He tried to escape. He got caught in Pine Junction in Park County, and he made a number of incriminating statements. This is not a whodunit, but there is a question. Why did the guy have an assault weapon in the AK-47 in Denver, Colorado? I expect you wanted an answer to that question. Am I right?
2: Yeah, it definitely came up in conversation. I have a pretty candid way of reading human beings fairly well in life. And I could not put my finger on what this was. You know, this gentleman, since his arrest, is it's this very ego, pump my shoulders, nonchalant, non-worried feeling after a crime has happened. Almost that laxadaisical I laugh kind of thing. And I know people respond in trauma different ways, but this very nonchalant feeling from him. So I couldn't put my finger on it if it was like a white supremacy thing. I just, I could not figure it out. We later found out that he had very deep ties to Denver police. One of his best friends or his best friend since middle school is a Denver police sergeant. Which I don't care. I think it's awesome that people are friends with police. But the whole sidebar to this thing now is the weapon obtained that was used in the shooting of Darian and the murder of my daughter was registered to this police sergeant.
1: Right, an AK 47. And that sergeant yeah. has been identified as Dan Politica. And what have the authorities told you about the relationship between Close and Politica?
2: There's been very, very little said about it other than they were close friends. You know, I think at some point they said that possibly Michael Close was living or staying at one of his properties. And that's really about all we know that this weapon was obtained through this police sergeant.
1: Right. But there's been a report that it was stolen from the police sergeant. What do you know about that?
2: Very little. And that's kind of where the question and and all of that start to draw up. You know, there's evidence of that we don't know of where this gun was obtained, how it came to be, where it was purchased, how it was sold, if it was sold, we we don't know any of those things. We know that this weapon was reported stolen ten to twelve days after the incarceration of Michael Close.
1: That happened on june tenth, later in the day. Isabella and Darian were shot late morning. He was already captured late afternoon. And you yeah. are saying that you were told Politica reported it stolen, not that day, not that week, but later?
2: Not prior to, not that day, not a, let me knock on your door and say, hey, damn Politica, the weapon involved in a murder is registered to you. It was 10 to 12 days after this crime had been committed.
1: Right. And the gun was recovered that day in the front seat of his car. Forensics showed that that was the murder weapon. I know this because of the preliminary hearing. We have a transcript. We can post it. But there are a lot of questions, good questions, that you just asked that we don't have answers. And it's not me or my podcast audience. It's you, the father of Bella. Who have you asked these questions and what do they say when you ask?
2: You know, we've tried talking with DA, head DA for our case. We've reached out Denver police. Obviously we've had to lean into attorneys now to try and seek information and the information is being held. They're saying at this point it's crucial to the case. Our question still almost after a year is, you know, what went on that day? We want to know the facts of what went on, and it's a pretty hard place to be in.
1: Right. Apparently, Close had an argument with his girlfriend, Chelsea Thompson, who may or may not know Dan Politica. What about Dan Politica? Has he reached out to you if he called after hearing this podcast and said, wow, Mr. Thallus, I'm so sorry. Let me tell you everything I can about what I know let the chips fall where they may. Wouldn't that be a decent thing to do?
2: My gosh, it would be life-changing. And I say that, you know, I ask for that. I ask for any kind of consideration as from a human standpoint. This doesn't even need to be from any kind of stance. It's just from a human standpoint of of knowing the facts and having some consideration and respect for, for the situation and what's transpired. But we've had zero communication.
1: I have been seeking information on behalf of my client, Darian Simon, and we've encountered the same stone wall. It doesn't make sense to me. Do you feel it's respectful or disrespectful of you and your family?
2: We find it obviously super disrespectful, you know, and I think it's gotten to the point truly where, you know, our consideration and silence has almost become a complacency, you know, and it almost turns cowardly at a point, which is why I decided to open up and talk with you today, you know. I think it's time to speak up and speak out on what transpired that day, and we're ready. We've been ready as not just a family and friends group, but I think the community is ready also. I have hundreds of questions that hit my inboxes through Facebook and other social media plugs and ties I have to um, voicemail of people having questions. It's a normal community and human being thing to have questions of what went on. and I don't have any answers for those. And it's really hard to keep telling people that I, I don't know. We don't know yet. I don't know. And I think that's a really unfair place to be, especially when you have a loss of life. And... Darian's trying to recover. It's just such a disrespectful place to be, to not have an answer.
1: I was a prosecutor for 16 years. I was proud to represent the people of the state of Colorado. And that criminal trial that's pending, Michael Close has engaged in delay tactics. Now he's down in Pueblo. I know the guy will not get out of jail in our lifetimes, okay? He's going away, whether it's Insanity or a conviction. This is a slam dunk case. But I'll tell you that it's brought in the name of the people of the state of Colorado whose dignity has been violated by this grotesque act with an assault weapon in the middle of the day in downtown Denver. And the people of the state of Colorado are entitled to know, and my God, Josh Thalas, there was a law passed, signed into effect by Governor Polis. For your beautiful daughter Bella, and it all has to do with this report that a gun was stolen. But what is it based on? Do you even know?
2: Well, and that's the hard part to it. You know, I think there's just fantastic groundwork that is put in place. Obviously, that law is very specific to stolen weapons, which falls near and dear now to our family and the situation at hand. So I will never take away traction from something that's amazing. And I think it's a good base to start. But, you know, yet again, these laws are put in place for the law abiding. And this is not a law abiding situation. And we don't know yet again. There's a a non-knowing of what transpired.
1: Do you know whether the gun was really stolen or not?
2: We don't know. It's complete speculation. You know, when something looks fishy and smells like fish, usually it's 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 fish. Have something reported stolen after the fact, weeks after the fact, days after the fact, it's very convenient. And I've I've said this since day one when this all transpired and I finally had an opportunity to sit with DAs and lead detectives of Denver and prosecutors and all these human beings and judges to say, hey, here's the deal. Me as a father, I'm very different in life. I've lived very different. I've been very different places. I'm a pretty old soul for 41. I have all the time and resources in the world to find out the truth. And that's all we're looking for in this. And I say turn over every rock. I don't think they anticipated what that is. And us as a family and a group to know that we will get as close to the truth when all of this is said and done as we possibly can. And out of all this, that's what we're looking for truth and to have accountability and justice to be served. We pray and hope there is no foul play in all this. I don't want that. I've never sought that out. I just want to know the truth of what went on.
1: Or negligence. I just don't know how you steal an assault weapon. Was it just laying around the house? How did he gain access? And then if you were going to steal an assault weapon, why would you steal one from a Denver police sergeant? That seems risky
2: very risky. Like I said, I, I don't know how that happens. I know responsible gun owners. You know, We grew up in a family of police officers and military and all different backgrounds where a respect for weapons was built. We knew where all the weapons in our home were and safely secured. We knew what load was in them. We knew where the extra magazines are. We knew the capabilities of all weapons at all times, they were always secured. So I think that's the hardest part for us as a family and community is asking the question of how, how did that happen? You know, for one, how is he not held to, he being damn Politica, how is he not held to a higher standard? He's not just a police officer off the street beat and there's nothing wrong with those guys. He's a sergeant. That's not something that just happens to fall from your house You know, Michael Close was arrested with multiple clips that we know of. He was charged with five extra clips on top of the clip he used. That's not something that just happens to walk off. It's not a knife. It's not a pistol. This is an AK-47. This is a military-grade weapon.
1: Right, and it costs a pretty penny. And Michael Close is facing a lot of charges, close to two dozen but is he charged with stealing that assault weapon? Have you asked that question? He's not. Right. Tell us about when you discuss that with the prosecutors.
2: It's really hard because you get caught up in the whirlwind of, of what's going on in life and the loss of life and human beings involved to delve into specifics. And I say that, you know, this is a capital murder case. There's serious injury involved with Darien is catastrophic and life-changing. And, you know, you, you fall into this lull of it's being handled, it's being taken care of because we have the best of the best on this case. And I believe we do. But as I'm trying to have a moment of clarity to myself a month back or so, I was thinking about the charges of Michael Close and running through scenarios in my mind. And I realized at that point after reading through documentation that he's not being charged with a stolen firearm. So I reached out to the DA and I asked there's no firearm listed on here as being stolen. So did he have a stolen firearm or did he, did he not? So that conversation came up and it was missed. Now, I don't know how it was missed. I don't know why it was missed. I don't know what that is. That's not my job to figure that out, but it was missed. And my whole point to that is you can't have your cake and eat it, too. Either the weapon was stolen and Michael Close should be charged with a stolen weapon or the weapon was not stolen and Michael Close is not charged in possession of a stolen firearm.
1: Right. And there's been some misleading going on. We read the media report about the weapon being stolen, but why no charge of theft of the assault weapon? And I asked the same question. I did not get a good answer. I can tell you as a former prosecutor, an active Colorado trial lawyer, the complaint can be amended. That charge can be added. Why don't they do it if it really was stolen?
2: Yep. And the conversation came up. It was discussed. And at the moment, the DAs let me know that it was missed. They would reconvene and re-talk about this after we get through some legalities of Michael Close's insanity plea, because it's a lot on their plate at the moment. I asked for their word to have this looked at again once we get through this insanity portion of this murder case. And that's the only information I know at the moment.
1: I know this about you. You are a transparent person, and you want transparency in return. Do you think you've received it in this matter?
2: I thrive on one thing, and I've raised my kids to be the same as transparency. So it's one of those for us that truth is everything. And I say that, you know, I I think it was... Thomas Jefferson, I always told my kids, you know, honesty is always that first chapter of the book. It's the first chapter of a wisdom book. So a lot of things can be fixed and dealt with, but it all starts with honesty. And to be really honest, the human being I am, we have not had that. We haven't had that since day one. Now we're almost a year into it. I'm the last one to always know. Prime example, there was A court case supposed to be yesterday morning at 8 o'clock. I emailed asking for login information last week, received no emails or phone calls back. And at 7.55 on Monday morning, I received a phone call saying, oh, by the way, that court case, we must not have gotten the information or you were confused. It's pushed back seven more days. It'll be next Monday. But those, hey, by the ways, have happened 100%. Through the whole case. Hey by the way, by the way.
1: Yeah, I got a hey by the way, because I've made efforts to speak with Beth McCann. I've spoken to her second in command instead, who said, Oh, by the way, when I said, you know, this doesn't look that great, DA's holding back information about a Denver police sergeant so involved in this horrible murder and assault case. What's up with that? And I got to Oh, by the way, Sergeant Dan Politica is no longer with the police force. I told you that earlier this week. Did you get that before I told you?
2: Never did. Yeah, I had never heard of that until it was brought up between you and I. And that's another Hey, by the way. But we don't know if there's any traction to that either. I, I don't know. I haven't been told that by anybody.
1: If Dan Politica were listening to this, what would you say to him? Um,
2: you know, it's really emotional to begin with. And I try and take my personal emotions out of this, which is super difficult because my buy-in is 100 and to Bella and Darian and our families. But, you know, again, if you're listening to this, you know, on a private note from a human being to a human being, from a dad to a dad, if you could please reach out to me, you know, the knowledge I'm seeking isn't just out of a curiosity standpoint, you know, the knowledge I'm looking for out of this case isn't just to be seen or heard by others. You know, the, the knowledge out of this case is to hopefully bring our community and human beings together so this doesn't happen again, you know? We just want to know, know the, the whys and what went on, and that's all we're looking for is just, just the truth of what, what transpired, what's gone on. Um, and we're almost a year into it, and I I and the rest of the community and families and friends are still um, in the shadows, and I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair at all.
1: And it's strange the media hasn't asked these questions. There's been a law passed in memory of Bella. It's a beautiful law. You support it. I support it. So does Darian. You know, Bella's beautiful life lives on. And part of it is she brought Darian into your life. My client, Darian Simon, what do you think of her boyfriend?
2: (laughs) You know, as a dad, you try and be as non-judgmental. Some dads are very gruff when it comes to their daughters and boyfriends. And I've always been the, the dad to not judge and let them figure out who they are as people, who they want involved in their lives. And definitely some boyfriends have come and gone. Um, I was grateful they, they were going Bella started a relationship with Darian right at the beginning of this whole pandemic thing. And, um, as a parent, it's, it's really hard when you can't meet a boyfriend face to face, shake his hand, sit down to dinner, say your hellos and your introductions and get to know a human being that's super involved in, in your family, um, and brought, brought to your front door kind of thing. So. It was really hard Now, to respect for Darian and his grandparents and family. You know, they were quarantined um, and they did a really great job of being quarantined through this whole pandemic and respectful of family and that. So I didn't get that opportunity before all of this had happened to sit down and shake Darian's hand. And I kept telling Belle, this is so awkward. You've been with a human being for for quite some time. It's so awkward not having a face-to-face interaction. Um, so as a father, I sit quietly and patient and just pray that it's fantastic. Um, Bella was in a little bit of a transition right as she met Darian and we talked and she says, you know, my living circumstances aren't the best dad. I just, I need to figure out me. And I said, that's a really great place to be. Um, I will support you in that. I offered to buy her an apartment a house and fix it up and, you know, have her name on it, which is a blessing to have in life and have that opportunity to provide for your kids like that. So we looked at a few. She turned me down, which I didn't know what to say at that point. And she says, you know, I met this really great guy and he has offered for me to stay at his place. And as a dad, I raised daughters to be independent and free thinking and provide for themselves, not to rely on a man to pay their cell phone or their way, regardless of any situation. I've raised young women to be that, and they were that. And she says, Dad, you know, this. he offered me to stay there. Um, I think it will be a great, great segue into life and our relationship together. And I said, well, be cautious, be careful, and as any parent would, it draws holy cow in your heart of just, I hope it's the right decision. And every time I talked to her, I could just feel this young woman blooming and glowing more and more every single time I talked to her. And I know for a fact a huge portion of that was Darian. You know, just the creativity and love between those two, um, I could feel it in her voice and resonate through the phone every time I spoke with her. And she's a very private human being, very low-key. So. Getting information out of her, I can only ask, you know, you're on a two-question. You ask more than two questions. It's kind of, oh, I got to get off the phone kind of thing. So we always joke there's a two-question max in a conversation. So, um, But I always ask about Darian and how how he was doing and how they were doing, and every response was just so enlightening and so full of joy. Um, It was amazing. So as of recent with obviously the situation happening, I've had an opportunity to get to know Darian and his family on a very different level, Um, you know, a level which I love, but I also wish the situation didn't drum up. I wish it could have happened in a little bit more natural form, but he's a fantastic soul and a really good human being. You know, I wish I had my head on the way he does at his age. It's just, it's so enlightening and, you know, his his branding and his clothing line that he's co-founder of, of Be A Good Person and all that. He truly lives his life just like that. He tries to be a better rendition of himself every single day. You know, he's got a lot of weight on his shoulders that normal human beings in society probably don't have. You know, that's a pretty big motto to, to follow in life and to be, you know.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about that when you said for Bella, be cautious, be careful. But then, when you got to know Darian, you realize this guy heads up a huge organization that's devoted to be a good person. And what a great break for Bella to meet such a tremendous young man like Darian, who approaches things in such a positive way. And you are special to him. You are special to his family. You guys are bound up in this tragedy. But I'm happy that Bella. Conveyed to you her happiness being with Darian?
2: Yeah, Bella's always expressed in a very low key way to me happiness or not happiness. Her and I, truly as a human being, she is the female version. If I were to be a female in life, she would be the female version of me. Her and I are very much alike in characteristics, physically and emotionally. So to see her bloom like that and to talk about Darian the way she did, talk about potentially being married and having kids and starting that life with him, it meant everything to me because I've never heard her say that in life. So um, I know for a fact that that truly was a true love that had transpired between both of them. And that's not just something that happens just because I know that Darian is an amazing soul inside as
1: well. She was a college student at the time that she was murdered. She had beautiful yeah. aspirations. Bella was not just going to be a wife and a mother, but she was going to go far. Tell everybody what Isabella's aspirations were.
2: Bella is sought to do better for people that couldn't do for themselves. She was always one of those human beings that grew for the underdog. Very similar to life situations she grew up in, not being as, you know, as a young parent, you're not financially as sound as you should be for, for your children. So Bella didn't have always the best of the best. We tried to offer that in life, but we tried to show Bella that I'm not just giving you better than what I had in life. I'm trying to teach you better than I had in life. And she really took that mantra and ran with it out of high school. She went to LIM college, which is a laboratory Institute of management. It's a very fashion-forward, cutting-edge college in New York for business and fashion. Um, She had a love for fashion. She had a love of business. After a year out at LIM, she decided, hey, I need to be smarter with my money and get some of my core classes knocked out. So she came back to Colorado and picked up classes at Metro, um, where she was currently a student um, when the situation happened. Um, very savvy human being. Like I said, very driven when it came to helping others become educated to helping better themselves.
1: I bet she missed her daddy too. I bet she had a little homesickness. She was a Colorado kid. She came back to Colorado. Yep. It was better to not spend all that money, especially during a pandemic. And then to find love with Darian, and then to have her life cut short. She had so many friends in this community. Tell us about the tributes that have poured out and which ones mean the most to you.
2: Oh man. Um, you know, Bella was, like I said, she was never about a platform or being seen or heard or anything like that. And, you know, there was a, an evening where her and I text often back and forth, good night kind of thing. And I had text and didn't get a reply back, which was very odd. So as a dad, I kind of try and give space to the situation and what that is. and. I text again with no response. The next morning, I finally get a response, and I was like, a phone call. I was like, geez, Bill, what, what happened? You didn't call me back. Like, is everything OK? And she says, I am so sorry Dad. I had a phone call. There was a spot on the 5280 deal where I could fill in for somebody that wasn't able to make their runway walk. I was like, wow, that's really cool. She says, "Yeah. So I was getting my makeup done and had to walk on the runway, and it didn't finish up till later in the evening kind of thing. It was just not a big deal. I just didn't have an opportunity to call. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that sounds awesome. And then as a parent, I'm like, well, geez, you should have called me. I would have loved to come see it. And she just shrugged it off like, ah, no big thing. And then I'd look, and she's like front and center on the 5280 Fashion Week and the brochures and things they have. And it's just it really sets her off as that's who she was. It was just this very non-platformed human being. Um, When she passed, you know, we have a candlelight vigil downtown where where everything had happened. And I was in that moment trying to have a reflective time and then say thank you for everybody coming. And I stand up on this short wall where um, everything had happened downtown. And I look, and as far as my eyes can see, I can't see either way of where the crowd stops. Um, And I say, the most amazing human beings black white gay lesbian democratic republican there was just no agenda young old it was the most beautiful array of all different walks of life i had ever seen in my life um and i realized at that point how many people she affected in the exact same way of just how amazing of a soul she was she touched all walks of life and paths she crossed that was her thing um it's just an amazing tribute to her soul and who she was as a person. Um, Just a very soft, kind heart. You know, I I think back of any angry days she had or anything like that. I I can't really recollect angry days or curse words flying out of her mouth or anything like that. It just really wasn't wasn't her, and it wasn't her thing. So um, that's really my memories of kind of who she was as a person and how she stood out. Um, As a human being.
1: Just like she came in when her daddy gave her a middle name of Joy. She touched so many lives, and we talk about your life. It matters the most. You deserve these answers, and you've asked respectfully for this information. It's not yet been forthcoming. Hopefully, it will be for the people of the state of Colorado. But you bring up that ballpark neighborhood, which is kind of new, tense. It's a showpiece of Colorado and Denver. People want to feel safe. And I can tell you, having been in this business for nearly four decades, when terrible crimes happen, people want to disassociate themselves, say, oh, that happened in a bad part of town or it happened after midnight, or I would never be in that situation. Darian and Bella were walking their dog in their neighborhood when this happened for no reason out of nowhere. And all those people in the ballpark neighborhood, I bet they heard the rapid fire of that AK-47 being fired off over and over and over again. And they're traumatized by this too, right? So this has affected a lot more than just the Thallus and Simon family. This is a Denver, Colorado situation, and some answers need to be forthcoming, right? Absolutely,
2: yeah. Yeah, and that's our, that's our biggest hurt down there is just, you know, of course it affected us and our friends and family, but there's thousands of apartments down there. Um, and you always think, ah, uh, one in a million. This is a one in a million situation until you are the million, until you are in that situation. And I think at this point that's that's truly what this comes down to is, you know, we would like some answers. We want justice to be served and accountability to fall where accountability falls. Um, and that's what this really comes down to. I don't want this to happen to another family. I don't want, ha- want this to happen to another father, another sister, another community. It's old. It's awful. It's a club that no parent or human being should have to be a part of. That's right. It's not an, accept- it's not an acceptable thing in society, and it's become almost an acceptable thing on a daily basis. And I'm ready to put a stop to it. I'm done. The community's done.
1: Well, we're not done. We're going to keep fighting. And I know you're not done, Josh. You already said it earlier. You will turn over every stone and all you want. You can't get justice. My God, if you got any kind of a court case resolution, your beautiful daughter's not going to walk in. We can't even pretend that justice is on the table, but you're entitled to the truth and you should not have to wait. And there's no good reason that the authorities can't tell you the answers to your good questions. I respect you so much. I'm so sorry for your loss, Josh, and I really appreciate you coming on my podcast.
2: Thank you, Mr. and I appreciate your time as well.
1: Take care. Bye now. All right. Bye. Let's talk about Denver. Sad events of June 10 of last year. Your client, Joshua Thales. you were on that interview. Thank you for allowing me to interview your client. I was blown away by what he had to say. How did you first become aware of the situation and get involved? Well,
0: first of all, I was very moved by what he was saying as well. I know this story pretty well. I know what he's gone through. But listening to him describe his relationship with his daughter and what happened and the community response to it was really touching. I definitely felt that. He contacted me several months after the incident, and the concern was that there was lots of information that was out there about this AK 47 that we didn't know about. And he was having a hard time getting answers from the people who had that information. Right. So he contacted me to help get information. That's been really my job so far. And although we have received a few pieces of information, there's a lot that's unknown and it's frustrating for him not to have that information. You know, as a criminal defense lawyer, we hear all of the time about prosecutors who are motivated by trying to help victims and try to provide some kind of justice or closure when justice is impossible and that they're motivated by helping those victims. And I was really expecting that from the prosecutors in this case, that they would understand Josh Dallas's pain and really try to fill in and provide the information that we've been trying to find out about, mostly having to do with Sergeant Politica and the assault weapon that was used to murder Isabella Dallas.
1: We've been on parallel paths. I represent Darian Simon who has survived, was grievously wounded in the shooting that killed Isabella Thales, a blessed memory. And we both have been seeking information. My God, we can't get these families justice, but they're entitled to information. And I worked 16 years as a prosecutor in the Denver DA's office. And I always felt the case was about the victims, not me of course, I represent the people. They can't tell me what to do, but I'm going to do everything in my power to ease their pain. The last thing that you or I want to do is screw up the prosecution. But honestly, a sixth grader could prove this case. It's not a difficult case. Let's not pretend that it is. Michael Close did this shooting. He used an AK-47. And we heard this intriguing fact that he acquired it from a Denver police sergeant. And of course, we wanted to know more, but it's not just us. We wanted to know more to tell the victims, to tell Darian Simon. He wants to know, and Josh Thalas wants to know. And part of what we do is about helping people just get information to put their mind at ease. And to me, it's one of the best parts of being a lawyer, isn't it, Josh Maxmont?
0: Absolutely. And if we can provide that family that suffered through this terrible tragedy some modicum of solace, then it's incredibly rewarding. That's one of the reasons why we do this job.
1: And there are so many shooting cases in the news, police shooting, body cams, victims saying, we want to see the body cams of our father getting shot. And I don't blame them. I think the truth should come out as long as it doesn't affect the prosecution. Can you think in any way, Josh, how Joshua Thales or Darian Simon knowing the truth about that AK-47 would taint the jury down the road?
0: I've really thought about it a lot, Greg, and I can't think of one way that it impacts their case. And we've been told by the prosecutors that They're not giving us this information about the weapon because they wanna protect the case. But there's no way that the information that they would provide to us could impact it. And it makes it seem like there are other motivations there. And the other motivations appear to me to be protecting the Denver Police Department and protecting this Denver Police Sergeant who had this weapon and provided it somehow, either whether it was a gift or whether it was loaned or whether it was stolen, provided it to his close friend who committed this terrible murder. One of the things that we think about in law all the time is a concept of causation. But for something, would something else happen? And the really difficult thing about this case is that but for Sergeant Politica's having this AK-47 and getting it to Michael Close. Isabella Thales would be alive. Your client would not be so terribly injured, and that is a heavy thing to say. He is a causation of this terrible tragedy, and we can't get the Denver Police Department or the Denver DA's office to respond to us about what happened there, and this is significant from a legal standpoint.
1: I don't know if the information slipped out of the mouth of the assistant DA who called me and said, you know, Craig, insofar as an entanglement of the Denver police and Denver DA's office, Sergeant Politica is no longer with the Denver police. I said, really? And then I told you, had you ever heard that before I told you?
0: I hadn't. And it's interesting to contrast that with what I was told by Sergeant Politica's lawyer who told me that there had been 100% clearance of Dan Politica by the Denver Police Department with reference to this situation. And in fact, Dan Politica had waived his Fifth Amendment right and given a full interview with the Denver Police Department at the time they were investigating it. So that statement of clearance and full disclosure and waiver of the Fifth Amendment doesn't make any sense with what you're telling me from the district attorney that we should somehow feel okay that sergeant politica is not working with the force. I don't know what the circumstances of that are or not. I don't know if he's a police officer with the Denver Police Department. I don't know what his status is. And I don't know whether he should be a police officer or not. And that depends on some of that information. I don't know if the gun is stolen or not. I don't know when it was reported stolen or not. I don't know how the AK-47 was stored. I mean, we had two laws passed recently in Isabella Thales's name signed by Governor Polis. In one of them, it says that stolen firearms need to be reported within five days. The other one says that you need to store these weapons correctly. And it appears that In this case that's named after her, the sergeant of the Denver Police Department violated both of those new laws and is not being called out for it. Nobody's even talking about it. So I don't understand what's happening with the Denver Police Department or the DA's office. And I am very interested in finding out more about the statement he made to you that Sergeant Politica is no longer working in the Denver Police Department.
1: I carried a badge for 16 years. My side of the case, the Darian Simon side, is full of law enforcement and affection for law enforcement. We already heard Joshua Thales say the same thing. We've tried to work on this behind the scenes for months to deliver this information to our clients who really want to know the truth about every aspect of this situation. You've been working behind the scenes as well. We've shared our frustration, and we've decided to do this podcast. Tell us what we do know about Sergeant Politica, what we have to guess about, and what you think is going on here.
0: Well, we do know that he has had at least one previous incident where he was reprimanded.
1: Sergeant Politica, do we know for what?
0: There is an order that has to do with an assault. He was off duty and participated in an assault. We know that he at some point had an arms dealer's license and we're not sure when that lapsed or not. We have been told by, and I don't know if this was something that slipped out again We've been told that he reported the AK 47 missing 12 days after the shooting, which seems like a long time considering the fact that Mr. Close texted Sergeant Politica before the shooting occurred, saying that he was going to be doing the shooting, it appears from my reading of the preliminary hearing, but also made a telephone call to him after this text admitting to what had happened.
1: Man, there's so many unanswered questions. When was this gun stolen? How was it stolen? And why isn't there a charge for stealing the weapon?
0: Exactly. It makes no sense. Was that weapon stolen or not? And when did he discover that?
1: You would think the state legislature would want to know. I mean, the governor, too. This is a matter of statewide concern. And my God, we've talked about your beloved Boulder, Colorado, the shooting there now in Colorado Springs. But we don't want Isabella Thales' shooting to go by the wayside. This was a tragedy in our community. And we need to know all the answers. I've been stunned that the media hasn't followed up on this so far.
0: To have a prominent sergeant from the Denver Police Department at the center of this huge case, it makes it really unique. And the fact that there hasn't been any digging in from any of the agencies that we talked about or the press is interesting. Why is it that Sergeant Politica isn't being looked at more carefully? Because as I was talking about earlier with the causation, if he didn't have that AK-47, Isabel Thallus would be alive today.
1: Right. And maybe he is innocent in this. You know, he has free agency. We've both spoken to his lawyer. He knows we're out there looking for answers. Seems to me there's a decent thing to do for a guy like Josh Thallis. Wasn't that impactful to hear your client say what he had to say to Sergeant Politica?
0: It was. It was. And whether Sergeant Politica takes him up on this opportunity to fill in some of these gaps, I'll be interested to see.
1: Right. And here are the simple questions I would have for Sergeant Politica. When did you purchase that weapon from who? How much did it cost? What were you going to do with it? Where did you possess that weapon? For what reason? How did you store that weapon? Was it in Denver where there's an assault weapon ban? Did you store it loaded? What about all those assault weapon magazines? We heard about those in the preliminary hearing when Close was arrested in Pine Junction, Colorado, but neither the DAs nor the defense went into how the weapon was acquired. Were these magazines legal in Colorado? Where did he get the ammunition? When? How many different magazines did he have? For what reasons? To resell or for personal use or for what? Was that gun regularly used? Was it functioning well? How recently had he taken it to the range? Was it cleaned? Was it ever shared? We've learned about the relationship just bits and pieces. It didn't really come out in the PH, but we've heard that Close and Politica knew each other growing up in Lakewood. Is that your understanding, Josh?
0: It is. The other thing that came up during the preliminary hearing was that Mr. Close had had some mental health issues and that it was concerning enough that Sergeant Politico was going to be taking him to a mental health provider the next day, which certainly is something that you would think he would think about in relation to this AK-47. Had he shown it to Mr. Close? Had he fired it? How often had he checked on knowing where that weapon was? And how does he think that Michael Close, his close friend, was able to take that from his house?
1: Aren't there gun safety devices? Aren't there combination locks, trigger locks? What are the circumstances of the alleged theft of an AK-47? I've been doing this about four decades I've heard about break-ins at gun stores, but to steal that kind of weapon from a Denver police sergeant, say what?
0: Exactly. That case by itself, take away the shooting. If you read in the paper today that somebody broke into the house of a Denver police sergeant and stole an AK-47, that is a big crime. And that's big news. And it's been buried and importantly, not charged. Why is it that the DA's office hasn't charged Michael Close with stealing this AK-47 if that's what they've been told happened?
1: It's not a jurisdictional issue because even if it happens, say, in Jefferson County, it's still connected to this crime. You can add it on. And we both know that you can add charges whenever, wherever. When we ask the prosecutors, we get hubba da bubba I, I don't understand the answers. And they claim they need Politica as a witness. What is he going to invoke his Fifth Amendment privilege? We have a right to know. We represent the victims. And as for me, thank God Darian survived, but he suffered a battery. It's a one-year statute of limitations. You know that, Josh. It puts me behind the eight ball not to get facts to do my job for my client, who would like to sue Michael Close for what he did?
0: Absolutely. And the statement that we've received consistently has been that they don't want to jeopardize their criminal case against Michael Close. And from my perspective, as somebody who's done criminal defense for a long time, I'm not seeing any way they could jeopardize their case. And it really, there's some other motivation in play for them not to provide us this information, because it's critical to these victims and being able to process what they've gone through, but also potentially to, to look at remedies in the future.
1: We're going to keep digging. That's the purpose of a civil suit, because I want to put people under oath. I want Dan Politica to sit across from me and answer these questions, not for me, but for Darian Simon, for Joshua Dallas. And we know that Politica knew Close had just broken up with a girlfriend. He knows a lot about Michael Close that we'd like to know. I mean, he was a complete stranger to Isabella and Darian. My God, I've dealt with a lot of crime in my life, but this one especially gets to you, doesn't
0: it? It sure does. And what you're saying really resonates. That. We know that they have the information that we're trying to get. We know that they've done exhaustive interviews with Kelsey Thompson because they talked about it at the preliminary hearing. We know they've done a full interview of Sergeant Politica because they talked about it at the preliminary hearing. And his lawyer told me that he had waived the fifth and given an extensive interview. We know that Sergeant Politica talked with the investigating officer in the afternoon while they were still in the process of investigating things. So it's very frustrating when we know they have the information that we would like to know, and they won't provide it to us.
1: I would have done it as a prosecutor. The Victim Rights Act came in right toward the end of my situation, but under Norm Early, Dale Tully before him, we put victims first, and that was a motto of mine placing victims first. Darian Simon has right to know. Joshua Thalas has right to know. Anna Thalas has a right to know the answers to these questions. What are you going to do, Josh, to make sure that happens?
0: Just what you were describing earlier, we are not going to give up. We are going to keep digging and we are going to get the answers to these questions one way or another. And whether that is going to be In a deposition, or in a trial, or even in a phone call, we'll see if there's any kind of response to the plea that Josh Dallas made to Sergeant Politica just recently.
1: We've reached out to the DA's office; they're aware of this podcast, and some of the answers I'm getting just don't make sense. And it's not just Darian and Josh and Anna and Lucia; all the people affected by this. It is the people of this state of Colorado. And the Denver Police Department responded in massive numbers. This was an active shooter with an AK-47. Thank God he stopped shooting after murdering Bella and wounding Darian. And then he tried to escape, but he can't escape. There's another guy who knows the answers. We know the truth is out there. It will come out but I would think the people of Colorado deserve answers, especially as we debate all sorts of issues regarding police and shootings and violence. This is something that should interest everybody in Colorado. Am I right, Josh?
0: I couldn't agree with you more. And it's unique. Sergeant Politica's role in the middle of this makes it unique and makes these issues very important, raises issues about firearms, about assault weapons in general, about police training, police involvement in terms of cover-up for police officers when they're doing things that are inappropriate. We're seeing that in the Floyd case or all sorts of other cases that have happened recently. And the people of Colorado are going to be interested to know what the real circumstances are here. They need to know.
1: Right. Maybe there's an innocent explanation. Hell, Sergeant Politica, come on my podcast. Maybe you are an innocent victim. Maybe you safeguarded those weapons. But why in God's name was it not reported until 12 days afterwards? I don't know if that's a fact. We get little bits and pieces of information. Maybe that's not fair to Sergeant Politica. But when they won't tell us the answer, it's easy to assume the worst, right? Sure is. Well, let's try to get to the answers. I feel so privileged to get to know you on this joint quest, and I can't thank you enough for participating in the podcast, making your client, Joshua Thallis, available. Your last thoughts, Josh Maxmont?
0: Well, I feel the same way. It's a privilege working with you on this case, and I feel convinced that with us working together, we're going to be able to get these answers that our clients deserve.
1: Thanks a million, man. Let's stay in touch. Thank you.
0: Sounds good. All right. Okay.
1: Bye.